Culture eats strategy for lunch, and informed cultures drive decisions and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with execs, visionaries, and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. My name is Sid Atkinson, data culture innovator and consulting leader with over 21 years in data. And I'm Lee Harper, machine learning expert with over a decade in data science and AI. And with us today is my friend, neighbor, and partner in crime in all things scouting, Arun Vasudevan. It's really exciting because we've just talking before, we've known each other for four years now, four or five years, and now this is the first time we've actually done something professional together. Arun is a staff engineer in the data platform team at Peloton. He has over 21 years of experience in the software industry, including 10 plus years in data. Before Peloton, he worked in the data platform teams at Expedia, BRBO, Verizon, and Bank of America. He is an avid open source contributor and has been recognized as the top open source contributor for the Data Hub project for two years in a row, 2021 and 2022. His expertise lies in event-driven systems, data lake, data catalog, and he's passionate about contributing to open source. And we will provide links on all sorts of awesome ways to connect with him after this. Arun, it's awesome to have you here today. Hey, Sid. That's great. I know we've been like chatting quite a bit on campouts and scouting (laughs) (laughs) campouts. This is great to meet professionally and been always inspired with your work. It's great to meet. Well, and now we get to talk for a while and people aren't going to look at us strangely. (laughs) I know, living in Austin, where it's a tech-heavy city, we go on these campouts, you and I will have all these tech and data conversations and people are like, oh my gosh, are they going to stop talking at some point? Because I don't don't get it. (laughs) So no, it is fun. So Arun, there's some really interesting topics that we're going to talk about today and perspectives that you have that, you know, Lee and I sympathize with our clients going through it, but we've never lived this side of it. And this is a whole buy versus build conversation. So when you and I first started talking about like all the different things you could, why did you, you know, what was the particular interest in, in the buy versus build? Like, why did you kind of gravitate towards that topic? Yeah, that's a good, good question. Like I know on the other side, you've mentioned different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So I think in my opinion, buy versus build is, is more depends on the organization and the team, right? Do you have the right skill set? There's there's no one solution fits all for everybody. Mm-hmm. So it's like, do you have the right skill set? Do, do you really want to invest in that problem? Do you like, are you really becoming a data company and do you really want to focus on those areas? Then Then do those things or like based on the problem you want to invest on, that's probably the the main first goal in buy versus build. Like if if it's not your core to your business or if it's not something you want to focus on, then outsource it, right? But if it's if that's something you you want to grow on, then build could be a viable option mm-hmm. if you have the right skill set and if you are also like ready to invest time and resources towards building that platform or product towards your end goal because not any platform is going to you're going to get it the way you want it so it's definitely a, a journey to get there and with with the build it's going to it's going to be like yeah most people don't build from scratch these days it's researching all the open source alternatives that's available trying to find 
skill sets that matching those open source projects or who are passionate about contributing or being attached to that open source project and then getting them on boarded and trying to move that project with the open source community and aligning your goals with the open source community goals and taking that road map into your uh, future so yeah that's one of the, the key areas to start yeah and i i think that it, i skipped one of the questions i intended to ask at the beginning which is like how do you define you know the buy versus build conversation right because that was one thing that we talked about it could be interpreted many ways and and it probably still should be interpreted several ways but how would you define that you know building versus buying so i've seen this misconception in a few places where and like if you go ahead and buy it it just you think that you you pay and then you get something and that's about it so mm-hmm. so people have a growing pain inside the company and they want to solve it they find products out there vendor products they reach out to a few finalize one and once onboarding to that they think in a few months the problem is solved but what we see is that the underlying infrastructure or the underlying data infrastructure which is building those for those problems is common across multiple problems you there could be a different organization within the same company which could be solving a different problem but underlying they might be using the same infrastructure so you you might be better off like having a common platform for an example like one team could be building a metrics layer mm-hmm. one team could be building a segmentation layer right both of it if you go and buy vendor products each one have like segment and like all those other competitors that's out there for that and then here for the metrics layer there are a few so so each team looking at the problem looks at it from a different perspective and finalize a product and each work for its own silo but then when you want to like bridge these two then it's it's hard either one of these don't support it or it's going to be very costly because taking data out taking putting data in both are going to be a costly problem and when you look at it underlying it's all the even driven systems that's running these two big platforms mm-hmm. so if you have the right skill set and the time to invest on the problem then you could build a common layer on using kafka systems or like even driven systems to address some of these common data problems across so so to to summarize it the the having that common data infrastructure across the company could address many data problems that different teams could face or like could come up with instead of like taking that and siloing it out to a separate product by itself it's almost like you're saying without collaboration we compound our problems exactly exactly <laughs> in search of more data and in search of using data we actually create the silos that we didn't want to to begin with so and it's kind of a strange thing here where to be able to afford to do that you've probably got to be, you know have some scale and some size right you know if you're a two person shop it's going to be hard to build a whole platform but similarly larger firms are going to have more silos 
and probably more legacy and more complexity in that regard. How do you bridge that gap when you're building something or deciding to build something? Yeah, I agree. That's that's definitely an important part of the conversation, right? The bigger companies like Google and LinkedIn can invest on like building out a year or two for a metadata platform because they can, right? Mm -hmm. But a smaller firms don't have that capability or don't have that the investment to make, right? So so this is this is just I can understand that if there is a small company, you could look at it from like the problem, you can downsize the problem instead of like going to a vendor product with all the features that you want. Instead, you can start with something smaller problem if it fits into your skill set. If if you see that, because at the start of this, event-driven systems were like harder to maintain. So people would have seven or 10 people teams to just maintain the clusters, right? That is not viable for everybody. Right. So in those cases, if you just start out with an one three-person team and see that this is not going to work, or if you talk to people of similar industry, then that's an easy conversation to like make addition to make early on. But where I see this thing not being followed is like bigger enterprises where they have enough resources, but still choosing to solve the problems within their specific business domain and not being able to leverage this common data infrastructure or kind of like a platform initiatives across the organization. So that's where I think this would make sense. This is not for everybody, as you've pointed out. Yeah, and I think, you know, stories, stories are useful. Stories are illustrative of, you know, the decision-making that people go through. And when you and I were chatting about this before, there was, you know, the at least one very illustrative story, you know, when you were working at VRBO, you know, when you had the buy and versus build conversation and you ended up building. I think that's a good, you know, from our prior discussion, I think it's a good example. So if you don't mind, like walk us back through that. Like why, why, why did y'all end up building, you know, versus buying? Right. So just to give an example, so we were looking at like as part of like VRBO and Expedia when I was working there, the data catalog solution that existed in Expedia was was something that that we bought from an existing company that that worked for them. But then as we branched out and do did a lot more event-driven systems, a lot more event-driven processing around the existing vendor product for the data catalog, for in this case, what we used was Alation. And the Alation wasn't ready for taking event-driven inputs, mm-hmm. right? And it was not even in their roadmap for another six months, year, year. And whereas for Verbo and for Expedia, there were a lot of silos of data sitting within each company's data lakes. And they wanted to like make sure that a data scientist on the Verbo side want to know what is on the hotels.com data, what is all available, so they can just search a data catalog to figure it out, right? Mm. That seems like a simple problem, but with with some of these existing products that are out there, we couldn't 
get that. And then even though if you get it, it could plug into your one or two database systems, but then the others are not available and there's no option for you to like add a plugin or contribute on anything because it's there when team have to deliver that. So that's one of the initial things that opened my mind, like having an open source project. We looked at multiple of these at that time and this is a data catalog and data discoveries in an evolving field. It's very new even now. So the one of the open source projects that we ended up choosing was Data Hub. So Data Hub had that option of like, they were open to accepting people to contribute. And then they were like adding the plugin model. Like if you, we have these 50 systems plugin, but if you have some other system that's you built natively inside, you can just add a plugin to it and it would work for you, right? So those kind of like uh, things that helped us build it from, we, we were just a four people team. Mm-hmm. And with the help of open source product that we got, we we were able to scale it up, the product for whole of Expedia and were able to make it work for the company. And it did work better than the existing vendor product that they had. Yeah, and I, I think these stories are good because it, it's an oft-repeated concept, but almost so, so often repeated, it becomes a little pithy when people say it then. It's obvious almost everybody needs data or everybody does need data to run their companies. Everybody needs data for in-service to their customers or whatever it, whatever it is that they are doing. But it doesn't mean that everybody needs to use data and therefore the data systems equally. Right? And so there's you know times when you know, your use case that in this case was VRBO's purpose in providing customers and also the market teams with really up-to-date information, like near real-time information, you know, that that has to exist. It's not just, okay, I need like yesterday's revenue numbers. This is different. Like, yes, I need those revenue numbers and the sales numbers to drive decisions, but now you're talking about customer interactions and real-time interactions. And that that's still use of data, but it doesn't quite fit in the same like generalized statement, I need data. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. And also value stored those data, right? Because at that time, VRBO was moving towards microservices and all their data was in real-time queues, like Kafka queues. So for these vendor products, they did not have plug-in to Kafka. So, but for a data scientist or a data engineer, They wanted to know what are the queues available, what kind of like booking data, where do I find it, which topic do I get it from, all that info, and which clusters should I go to. So all that info is very, very crucial because that's where the real numbers you could report it from, like to build your dashboard, to to any of that analytics that you want to build. That's That's the crucial part. So it depends on what kind of company is is having that data. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you can imagine, you know, anything involved with in both safety, <laughs> so manufacturing, electricity, utility, like all this stuff, they present, you know, unique use cases that now, thankfully, more vendor products are supporting those use cases, but but then once those use cases are supported, the next need exists, right? So, and and, and usually that pioneering entity 
you know, for in your case, you've worked at VRBO, Peloton, and others, but that next use case now needs to exist and sometimes doesn't move. The vendors don't move as fast as the open source community. So when you look, and I think we've hinted a little bit at this, but, you know, what, what do, what should people understand on that buy versus build conversation? What are some of those mistakes or the very salient points that you and your peers have brought up when, when companies need to consider this? Yeah. So on the, the, the building part is hard, definitely. There is have to be skill set. There have to be energy and interest on the people. But also you have to know like some of the common practices around these open source communities. Like because it comes from 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 our VPs in, in the earlier companies that I worked with where they would have processes around like TAG, which is like a technical advisory group. So so it is more like people like leaders within the company across the company they would all come to a common problem which could be an analytics problem or or a data discovery problem so they would come group and have frequent meetings mm-hmm. around that tag wherein like you would drive conversations around what are the outcomes that you want out of this tag and how quickly do we want it? What kind of problems does it solve? How does it unlock the company, right? So those are the high-level conversations. And the, it is like, these are like people who are not directly tied to a reporting relationship or anything like that. They come out of their interest. They contribute their thoughts. So when you develop a data product out of this common works like tag that comes out, you don't develop for just one customer. You don't develop your data product within the company because you have close relation to another team and they want it. They might consume it, but then that product was so much built just for that team Mm -hmm. that others couldn't. Like It's similar to a market fit Mm -hmm. that you see outside. It's similar to that within a data company, the data products that's built by data platform team depends on who they talk to and how close their customers are. So these tag kind of process and people think that helps in bridging that gap, in helping helping moving that conversation around so that others could contribute and the the organization could learn from it. Yeah, that was an interesting thing. And and Malcolm Hawker, who runs the CDO Matters podcast, he had Good. I don't remember the episode number because I was listening to it while I was working out, but he was uh, doing a solo podcast talking about data mesh and well, actually several different things, but data mesh is just one of those concepts. And he had an interesting definition for a data product, you know, and that it should be something that is it started, started with a question, what, what was, what's the outcome needed and therefore gets to what drives value for the business or for the consumer on the and not what more people look at engineering units of like, well, how can I break this down to the smallest, you know, component of like the customer or the subset of the customer? And that's the data. Well, no, that's not actually a data product. Some people will be, but this is why these are all active conversations with very, very strong feelings on all sides. But I, you know, one of the things in our, in our conversations leading up to this, that to put it in words Lee and I use, right? You're talking about start with why, 
and a cultural process of asking questions and valuing questions being answered. And so whether you serve those questions through the tag, you know, or something similar, right? Like that was one of the first things I heard is like, okay, well, so when you know what you're in pursuit of, you can better build something in pursuit of, you know, what the company's purpose is. Exactly. Exactly. That's true. And like in, in like developing that conversation, so this is something that's within the company, right? But sometimes you might want to talk to some vendors out there. So in those cases, like say AWS or like Datadog or any of those vendors, like you would have an internal goal or internal ask. So th- so we have, they also develop a process called SIG, which is something that special interest groups, it, it's all like the similar concept, mm-hmm. but uh, SIG is something that's much more common on the open source where like Kubernetes and other open source communities use this SIG model mm-hmm. to commonly talk around, talk about some of the roadmap items on their list and how that could align with the company's ask, right? So so as you said, yeah, definitely these are like good questions to start with why and good forums to like get that through. So I have a question. You just thought, you just mentioned AWS and you know, obviously the, the cloud vendors do what they do. When you talk about building, do you build on those clouds, like say you know, VMs and platforms, or do you kind of generally have a set of servers or a private cloud sitting somewhere? I guess, yeah, do you use private cloud or public cloud or what combination of those two things to build your platforms? That's, that's a fantastic conversation. This is something I've seen different leaders <laughs> take different turns there. Yeah. I've, I've worked with leaders where like... We never build anything for a specific cloud owner. So we would, they would build wrapper for anything they do. So, uh, so to deploy applications, they would have a wrapper. So that in case we move to GCP in the future, we could just switch a flag and we could move. But in the past eight years, they never moved. So, <laughs> that sounds quite exhausting. Yeah. Right? So, but there's so much effort involved to that. And so I've also heard the other side of thing, like there is always, because you have never tested the other side of switch, when you really have to do, there is an exercise that you would be going through. Instead of uh, investing all this time upfront and still doing it down the line, why not like, when that comes, tackle that problem instead of solving it ahead. So I've, I've heard both sides of an argument, but seeing on the other side from like use, choosing a cloud provider and going with it seems like much more viable. You could get things quickly going because I have I've been on the side of like building wrappers for everything <laughs> early on. So it's just from my own experience. Well, and I guess it's back to the other thing that you said is that one, there's not, you know, one answer for everybody. And then it needs to be tied to what, you know, like, so Netflix famously has the chaos monkey concept, right? So when that infamous outage happened a few years back now at AWS, they didn't panic because, you know, now they had built resiliency into one cloud, but you have to guess that they're probably because of the criticality of having cross-platform, right? Like 
that they're sitting there driving a lot of AWS consumption, yet AWS is a huge competitor at the same time. So at some point, you know, they're th- they've, they've got it already done. <laughs> they could switch over to another cloud, you know, if needed. If not, they haven't done so already. I don't know anybody inside Netflix, but I have to know that those are smart folks and they probably have that mind. But that's, if they don't have that, they, they go out of business, right? So, you know, do you need that for, say, your HR function? Probably not. You could, might be able to, it might be painful, but you could afford some pauses or disruptions. But for what you serve to your customers, like one month's lost revenue at Netflix would, or even two months would be, you could be their death now, right? So just kind of back to, to your point on the questions, like what, what resiliency and what expandability is important. Yeah, on the resiliency point, that's that's very good. Like that's what Martin Klippman talks about in his designing data intensive applications. You can never build hundred percent reliable systems. That's why Google came up with that SLI SLO metrics, mm-hmm. which is more like AWS has a, has around ninety nine point four nines or five nines. Something. Oh, they like go that. way out now. They they're they're ridiculous, right? So they're they they have those SLO, SLI metrics. So it depends on like what kind of application and what's your SLO, SLI goals mm-hmm. so that you, because to move a nine there, there's so much investment that goes into that. Is that really necessary? Is that worth for that product, for that domain? Yeah. Now, and, and so, I, you know, a couple of things that we're hearing around, like what's really important for that buy versus build conversation you need to be clear on the goals, right? Like if you don't know what the goals are, how do you know you're applying the right tools, right? Like it can be very tempting to view the buy versus build as just a technical conversation. But the very first criteria you gave was, do you know what problems, right? So then, but there were some other aspects to like the people, and you hinted already with the SIG, but what else have you seen from the people and process side? Because when you and I were talking about this prior, that was like the first place you went was on this whole buy versus build. So it's people in process, which is why you're on the Data Culture Podcast. So, <laughs> so what, what else, what are some of those other aspects that, you know, you, you have conversations around or when you're implementing, you know, you're in, it's, it's, there's people in process. So what else are y'all doing when you, when you do the buy versus build piece? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember our conversation earlier. Like, <laughs> so definitely I think SIG is one I talked about where in like special interest groups mm-hmm. for outside vendors and then a similar tag which is technically advisory group for anything internal and another thing is architectural design reviews right mm-hmm. so you you look at a problem you look you research around all these different tools you think that okay what kind of schema to go with you you research json avro protobuf all that kind of <laughs> things, thrift, and then like you say, on the wire, let me go with Avro because that's more suitable for my use case. And you write down all that thoughts and then put it on like a, a, lo- a wiki page or something like that and have it on the tech radar. Like if as a company, you align more like what ThoughtWorks has the tech radar, right? Similar to that, for this problem, what is the tool set that as a tag, your organization zeroed down on. So that in future, if someone else from some other group is researching on a similar problem, they don't want to go down that whole, find out the contact, trying to do all that again. Instead, this would be a quick 
place for anyone to go, find any depth that they want. And then like if any of those assumptions have changed, then it makes sense to go and reinvest that effort on research or else they could directly take it up. Okay, the organization has low resistance on taking it out, say Avro, then I'll go with Avro. It doesn't matter for me as long as we have a common agreed format, right? So that's that's also another part of thing that I've seen it working mm-hmm. within Peloton and I've heard that is adopted in other organizations too. Yeah, you mentioned something interesting. I'm not sure everybody knows. I'll I'll go back and, and ask you to expand on that. So you mentioned something ThoughtSpot does. So if you would just con- in, in sharing information. So talk a little bit about that because that's an interesting concept. Just we want people to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So ThoughtWorks is one of the or ThoughtWorks, uh, not ThoughtSpot. One of the the pioneers in like in like Martin like backing out of me. So there are like multiple pioneers on that company wherein like they talk about the architecture, like they talk about the problem. Data virtualization and data fabric. Data mesh even like comes out of like ThoughtWorks Martin Fowler. So so they have a lot of incubating products that they research on and a lot of things that they have zeroed down on. Okay, if you are like looking at this problem, these are the two tools that we would recommend, right? Mm -hmm. So that is as an industry that ThoughtWorks tries to do and they try to recommend it to their clients. But it could be different for you within the organization and there could be a little bit thought around on zeroing down on that product and this tech creator transitions that knowledge from someone who did it in the past to the to the future people who are going to start looking at that problem, right? So yeah, so ThoughtWorks Tech Raider, that's yeah. that's a clear visual representation of quickly coming to a tool that you were looking at. And that that's an interesting piece. So so Julia Lane, who we had earlier on in the series, uh, that was a bit of our the the towards the end of our conversation was talking about, you know, the the biggest one of the biggest gaps today in data is decisions. So you you're talking about Hey, I can start to gather probably unstructured information about use case, what somebody did, an outcome. And, you know, when we think about like, you know, how crucial that is, because the number of decisions we have that leaders make, that people make, where the telemetry and then the other inputs that went into that decision, not captured anywhere, like anywhere. And so, you know, we talk about like reams of knowledge or reams of data, not knowledge, data that we're capturing, but not necessarily knowledge because we, these, these decisions and then what we were taking in as the ambiguous, ambiguous parts of the decision making, like might have a concrete data, but I, as somebody else in an industry experts and considering a whole bunch of other things that I know from my experience, but the data does, I don't have the data for it. We don't have any. So what what did they not have that they wanted that's not captured anywhere what did they what kind of things did they make on a gradient scale for some decisions like i think it's here right and they made that decision right so where was where is any of that captured we don't have that in their memoirs in their memoirs yes. 10 years later yeah. <laughs> i was like all the business books that we've got on our shelves that's where that's captured right so so i think that's a great point actually the initial evolution of all these data systems were all about generating data, capturing data, 
and moving data around right mm-hmm. but the the part about knowledge is is something an afterthought that has come in the just last few years of like taking the knowledge now you would find any document even in an internal company wiki documents that's floating around but do do people when they look at something is that being rendered to you do, do people know that such information is available within the company that's something that so that's where like some of these tools like data hub with respect to data or like some of the other tools that is coming out in the market like tries to provide you even with chat gpt right like mm-hmm. it might be in slack in some time or yeah. in other products and so on that we use so that might help in providing that knowledge to people where they need it and quickly it's funny but if we you know a lot of the we said data catalog for example and so a lot of the data catalog tools have progressed massively you know in the last couple of years and yet we as humans still can't help like okay I might look up and actually every bit about that data set who's using it what they use it for and what's what is probably 80 to 90% of the time the first thing that they do they go ask it's like are you actually saying this <laughs> yeah. did, what did you do with it right they want to know they want they want to look somebody in the eye or actually talk and hear the voice or like see the response in chat and like okay yeah about that you use this oh wait and what did you use it for i want the story right like most people will ask that i know i do i i mean and, and i'm maybe slightly biased towards what i do and i see other people do you know i don't have the infinite sample set but we still do that right because as much as these things emit information we still are missing the human part of what's happened with it and we want to hear that because it's not captured so and i know that's a complete side tangent to all the other bits that we were talking about I, on the- i can definitely go on and on with that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what have you seen just one last bit on the you know the buy versus build what should be part of the conversation have you had any times when somebody left an important aspect out of the conversation and an adverse decision was made. Yeah, so sometimes and you don't have to name people by the way. I know. Right. <laughs> don't name people. Yeah, don't name please. people. <laughs> I know. Um so yeah, definitely there are like decisions that have been made mm-hmm. with not understanding the skill set of the team. Right? Mm. So that's definitely a big mistake. Yeah. Oh yeah, we can go and do that cool thing there. but aligning your team to something that are they really excited about it or mm. is that a problem that they are curious about or yeah and then do they have the skill set to work towards it yeah you might have like a bunch of python developers and then this thing is over here is an objective c yeah. right or you know it takes more of a object oriented mindset to work on it and they like working with set based data exactly you exactly. know all these things could be quite a quite a clash to what people like to do So that's that's a major conflict that I see mm-hmm. when when people make those decisions. And another thing is like sometimes the team is really want to build it. Like they are like deep into the problem. Mm-hmm. They are like core engineers who want to write code and push code out and <laughs> for them if you give them a click ops vendor solution to solve the problem, they may not be excited about it. So 
sometimes if that is something that's out of their area, it's not their main problem that they're solving, it's okay, but you wanted them to solve, that's their main thing, then that may not be something that they are excited about. So aligning like where your team is at and your organization is at and what kind of solution do you want to propose to them. It almost comes down to understand your constraints as a company and as a team. Correct. Correct. Exactly. Yeah, and that brings up an interesting point because then sometimes the path forward, you know, your constraints don't support the path forward. You know, so for example, if you, you end up on the, the inverse of the buy versus build, you have people that are very well versed in a vendor platform, but then, you know, the business conditions align to build, right? You know, now you have a very painful, potentially painful decision if like, say this team loves the vendor platform and doesn't want to do anything else, you know, so you can see people get stuck, you know, in some ways, you know, on, on what is the right decision going forward because it's loyalty to the people or loyalty to the business, you know, particularly if the two don't have any overlap in the go forward, right? Like there's just, there isn't a way to make that alignment happen. So I've certainly, we've certainly seen customers in the past, like delay or not make the decision you know, they know like it, in, in a very strong scenario, like you have to build, the vendor platform doesn't work, but the team is opposed to build. And then that sometimes that decision gets delayed and then everybody suffers. Right, right, right. That's true. And it, it can also be that the team is wanting to build something, but at the same time, they, they don't understand the problem completely. Mm-hmm. They are very much... It, he, he or she was hired for a specific tooling or specific product, but they are then put to use to something else, right? Mm-hmm. So not hiring or not aligning, first zero down on the business problem and then hire rather than inversely. But then there are reasons within the company. That yeah. That happens. So we hinted at this a little bit earlier in the conversation, but then direct like directly jump into that part, you know, is there one answer here, right? And should there be one answer? You know, what does this mean? Like when we had the, we've, we've talked a little bit of buy versus build as if it universally applies, but that's not been, you know, that's not what, what your experience has been or our experience. So, so what is that? you know, if I answer my answer, is there one answer? Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Spoiler with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. So I've, seen both sides going not right, right? So in some cases, you need to build. In some cases, you need to buy. Mm-hmm. Making that choice and knowing that early is really the critical part of the leaders within the company to do that, right? So getting that sense of what is right for the company and right for the team and sensing that and doing it early is really critical. I've seen like some companies, because you would see when data-driven companies are like, they want to build everything in-house. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's not right. You you may build, yeah, like waste your resources on something that's already solved out there. In those cases, it's not something you have to go and do yourself. So, so there are reasons when you have to go out and take it from open source or take it from a vendor when it solves your needs. Yeah. When only you have an itch, that's not being solved <laughs> and you have the skill set and the resources, go go and 
And and I think the an aspect that we also talked about too is then being very involved in both vendor and open, you know, what's going on and not just having, you know, blinders on to thinking that, you know, you know, your company and the problem. I'll share one story related to this buy versus build. And, you know, Lee, our, our, our compatriot, Josh will laugh at this because he and I were on this very painful project for an advertising company. And we jokingly called it ReDB because the, this particular project and who we were doing for non-named group, lots of very new engineers, and they had lucked into starting a company that a bigger advertising company bought. So there's a lot of new thinking going on in how to build a data product. And there wasn't stepping back and asking question, huh, we tried SQL and it didn't scale. And now we, we tried this you know new thing, Hadoop, and that wasn't scale. Hey, we should just, can y'all just start writing a database from scratch? And we're just going to store everything in text files and you can index it. Sure, but that, why don't we think about a couple other things first? But but they did send a couple of folks off on that thread about engineering a database from scratch because they felt their problem was so unique that it needed something that scaled better and faster versus maybe our architectural approach and how we're using these products. Is. And so it took a little bit to walk them to sanity. We got them there, but it was not easy. But yeah, it's, it's, it, it can be... If you don't have the right questions and the right outcome, and the right approach, and in this case, and also you know the right as you've hinted out, also is the people and process, you can end up as they were, and you know, and had they been left unguided, they probably would have spent two years building their own open source data, you know, data repository, and who knows where that would have come. <laughs> well, Spark would have come out and then it had been made uh, redundant before it had been finished. <laughs> All sorts of things. Would it? Yes, because this was the early days of Hadoop where we were, you know, having to do MapReduce and other things like that. But it ended up like the thing that solved their problem was, you know, multidimensional analysis services. Like I implemented that for them. And it, once we finally matched up the questions to the problem set, that was actually the right scalable and cost-effective solution. But it was it was mind bending for them to think about like the the vendor product at the time solving what they felt like was such a unique thing in the market. So, yes. <laughs> so and, and we are not in two thousands, right? So no. that, there's not much open source out there. Everything you want, you have to build. Yeah. Or buy, buy it, right? So, not building from scratch. So now it's there's so many options you have. You you could just get it something from open source. And, is not critical to your company. It could just work just out of the box mm -hmm. without having to put much. But sometimes you might have to put your resources, put your thoughts to it to improve it. But yeah, yeah. so it depends on, so we are in 2023. Three. And <laughs> then there's a lot of options out there for sure. Yes. Yeah, and that is something that's nice to see even the bigger vendor platforms doing is recognizing that you know, some people do need to stitch together and it's been easier over the years to actually write customizations on top. Obviously not to the extent you can do a few, like, you know, forks, you know, fork something for your own, you know, need, right? That you have absolute complete control, you know, over it at that point in time. But yes, like, it's nice to be able these days, even on the big vendor, bigger vendor, some of the bigger vendor platforms to be able to extend them in a way that you need. So that, that, I, 
wholeheartedly feel like the open source has pushed, you know, that that capability or that, you know, them them to recognize and make that accessible for for those of us that mostly work on the vendor platforms. Awesome. Well, Arun, what else do you have for any other closing thoughts on this conversation or others? Yeah. So I know like you have different opinions on data mesh. Yeah. We could have another segment about it. I think that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, but a lot of companies that I talk to are like inspired to data mesh. They may not implement the way that the paper is out, but the concepts out there, seem, the problems out there seems true, right? Yeah. They kind of talk to people. So the, the data mesh world, is is the future people are either they are going to go to a different world and realize they want to go something else mm-hmm. or they might feel oh the older world works better but in either <laughs> ways <laughs> people are moving towards uh, the data mesh if you like it or not and it's going to change the way the data is going to be federated and used i i mean i so data mesh brings up very important questions that we've been punting on for a long time in the data world, you know, and that is, you know, just ideas around data as a product, the ideas around contracts and definitions and stewardship and stewardship, you know, and, and decentralized decentralization, right? And so, you know, and, and that's the wonderful thing about the book that's been, you know, that's gotten published on is that it mentions it is a socioeconomic construct from the beginning. And so, but that's the biggest barrier I see to it moving forward, right? Like, you know, if you draw an analogy to, you know, government and our government here in the United States, right? Like things work, but many people can do many things in pursuit of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness because we've got the federal structure that provides a governing piece of which all the different states can decide, you know, to their gain or to their detriment what they want to do, but inside, you know, a, a, leveling playing ground and a leveling field that says, you know, here's here's how interstate commerce works, here's how federal laws work, here base safety standards and things like that. And, you know, that model has proven very successful. But it also, you know, companies aren't companies and organizations aren't structured like that. It can be easy to think things are a democracy. But when you elect into a company, it's not like electing into the United States. It's not even like electing where we are in Texas. It's it's not even like even electing into Austin. You're electing into something that started with a very specific purpose. And like your quote, you know, we didn't actually talk about this, but your quote earlier, data belongs to the company. And so, you know, you, Arun, can't decide to do what you could, but you could decide to do something entirely different from Peloton. So, you know what, Peloton, I like mountain bikes and I like being outside. That's a little different than what Peloton does, right? Or at least right now, and and if it's not aligned, can you actually go build and do and make these products and that are antithetical to the purpose of the company? So it's it's there's a point to which like democratization works, but I think some people are forgetting the structure that exists when you have you have voluntarily joined a for profit entity, and that for profit entity has to have some vision that's going to drive in, in finite ways 
So then in finite ways, there's finite use cases and finite things that happen. And data mesh is infinite. And so there, there's going to have to be, you know, it's, it's like we thought big data was going to eat the world. And now what's all the talk? It's like, hmm, smaller quality data sets. Oh, I'm so shocked to hear that. I'm shocked, shocked that that's coming up, right? Wait, you mean like all the telemetry and the click-through data of somebody using the Azure portal, the AWS portal, isn't actually that valuable? Tell me more. <laughs> right? And I think, so I think data, to me, I look at what I'm excited about data mesh is the questions that it brings up. But I don't think any iteration that we're going to be on, just my two cents, and we can have a long conversation around this, <laughs> Is it, but I don't think any iteration that we've seen or is even going to be coming in the coming years is going to be anything close to what ends up getting settled on or you know implemented. I think a lot of people are going to die getting up that hill. So many of us who started like one or two decades earlier yeah. can relate to how the software world then yeah. and now. Yeah. There used to be Unix administrators, database administrators, specific teams doing specific things and coordinating to these moving something like release managers who would take this through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, these are like so like arcade times. Like yeah. and now like with with the DevOps and SRE and all that coming through, all this so it's more of like bridging the the people and mm -hmm. the culture. That shift, right? It's a major shift. With, with Agile and with DevOps, all that, it, it took more than 10, 15 years to get adopted wide stream. Yeah. So in the same way, data mesh is kind of a fundamental shift, right? Uh, earlier, if you, if you say a developer has to do the testing and put it to production, yeah. people would laugh at it, <laughs> right? But now that's what is happening, right? Yeah. People do all their testing and you are responsible if anything breaks that too, yeah. right? So the complete ownership of development to production is, is the current normal. So in, in that way, like the data well, But yes and no, right? Like it, it is, but I also have joked, you know, like some of my app old app dev buddies and I, it's like joked, it, that's possible because the levels of abstraction that they don't, Kids these days are never going to know the pains of configuring IIS, you know, on a Windows server to deploy their .NET app, right? Like, they just don't have to deal with that stuff. And I am sure as heck glad, if I was still an app dev, I'm sure as heck glad I wouldn't have to either. But, like, that's many of the things you mentioned, like, all the complexity is abstracted away, exactly. right? And so some of these things, you know, can happen. It's like, it's, it's like the whole transition from agrarian to information services societies. We don't have to do a lot of things because I don't have to grow my food. I can just go to H-E-B and buy it. H-E-B is a wonderful grocery store in Texas for everybody who's not a Texan listening. But I can just do these things. And so it's the same thing with all these, whether it's open source or, you know, the vendor platforms. I don't have to do a lot of the big complexities because it's been abstracted. So... The way I've kind of started to look at it is that data mesh is a destination, right? It's this wonderful promised land, if you will. Most companies probably will never get there or take them so long to get there that science will come on before they get there because, of, as you mentioned, during all the shifts required, the, the cultural shift, the economic shift, the shift in how, like, you know, the marketing team works. You know, I, I, you know knowing that we do all of, all of the sales folks that we know, <laughs> I can't, you know, imagine that many sales teams would want to be true data stewards of sales data. That would be a 
big shift mm-hmm. with no offense to sales folks love them to bits but data entry is not their favorite thing in the world unsurprisingly but having a destination in mind means that people can now aspire to the journey to to get there so if you never get to a true data mesh if you can get to the point where some teams are starting to take this seriously you know sales team is starting to take data entry of their sales data and their partners much more seriously marketing is starting to invest their time in you know better metrics and better things that weren't in their traditional skill set I think having a having the destination signposted can help the journey, the process, if you will, to you know continuously improving ourselves. Well, and and there's the thing, and this the part that does excite me about the conversations that it has percolated, you know, is towards improvement. We may not get to what data mesh espouses, but it can pull us towards a better future. You know, for example, like we know salespeople hate data entry. Why? Can we solve that, right? Like in, in pursuit of a good sales data product that solves like, hey, what's the trends? What does a good quota make? You know, what are good territories? It's like, well, could we actually get rid of salespeople having to enter anything at all, right? Like, could it be that, you know, we can have these beautiful chat interfaces or just spoken, like it, it, everything about the sales process is picked up, picked up or captured, right? Like they never have to enter any data. Like maybe we'll actually get to great data, you know, sales and marketing data products by solving the things, you know, in pursuit of that, we'll solve different problems. So that's kind of what excites me about data mesh. But, you know, the 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 cynic in me, I, I don't think anybody's ever going to be coming back from Arcadia and telling us how beautiful Arcadia is. I think Arcadia is a myth and that data, you know, data mesh is, is a wonderful idea to get, but I think it's a it's a propellant in my mind towards what things that we should have been doing a long time ago. That's true. That's yeah. true. Excellent. And um, in your summary earlier, you were talking about, I think when we met, I, I spoke about data belongs to the company. Yeah. Right? So that was like, though, that's one another evolution, right? Earlier people, the teams used to hold data. Mm-hmm. to getting access to the data, to copy that data, all that was a pain. So the problem or the insights from the data remains untapped. And so that's why the evolution of the the central team called a data platform team or a data team that came in, but then they did not understand what to do with the data or who should they serve around and how do they serve and they were like, uh, bombarded with requests and not having enough bandwidth. And that's where the data products came in mm-hmm. of like, we build products for everybody to use and then you can also contribute to it based on your availability, right? So these are like some of these top level insights, like data belongs to the company. You are a custodian of the data. That insight took one leap after another and we are here in the same way. Well, kind of. You should see some of the customers we work with. There's, <laughs> there's, the, there's. I would say probably from your your seat in in the companies you've been, that might be true. <laughs> but there's still a long way to go for many, much of the market on seeing like the data belongs to the company and not the silo. Right, right. right. I understand. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Being there. <laughs> yes, yes. This is why you like working at product companies. That was another long chat uh, on a camp out was why you have enjoyed product companies these days versus your consulting days. I, I can relate a lot. We can talk stories around <laughs> that. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. Well, Arun, it's been fantastic to have you on, and we're definitely going to have to have a panel, I think, soon on the whole data mesh piece because it's it's one of those ones that there should be many conversations and many voices on it because, again, the, the thing I, I know I'm excited most about it is what the conversations that need to be happening, even if I don't agree with all the principles in it. So, but awesome. awesome. Well, thank you for coming. Thanks. Thank you, Sid. Thank you, Lee. It was great chatting with you. Yeah, it was amazing to have these data chats. So love to have like talk to you guys in the future. Yeah, absolutely. We will have you back. Thank you for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity intersected with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. If you have a topic, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson, or my co-host Lee Harper on LinkedIn via DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. Be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture changemakers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening.